Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, the space where I sit down with the world's most interesting brands and digital agencies to unpack where they're at, where they're going, and how they're navigating the consumer landscape. I'm your host, Tim. So I'm changing up the format a bit for the rest of the year. I'm moving from a season-based schedule to weekly episodes. This will continue into next year also. I really appreciate you tuning in. So if you've got any feedback, you can hit me up at timatyourbasketisempty.com. On episode 62, I'm chatting with Georgie Carter, founder of PEPT, an email and SMS marketing agency for DDC health and wellness brands. Um, we talk about creating an agency by accident, the importance of lifecycle marketing and creating relevant customer experiences, how to optimize your retention strategies, the power of high-value content emails, finding opportunities in the current macro climate, the value of creating a niche position, and why SMS is going to be a key strategy for brands in 2023. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Georgie, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Hi. Uh, no, thanks for having me. I am uh, really good and I'm in Wimbledon. So sunny Wimbledon today, which is a, a change. So um, I know, right? Um, the weather's been so shit. It's yeah, like, it's actually really quite has. glorious this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to try and get out at lunchtime, I think. I, I fully encourage that. Um, <laughs> so I usually do a rewind. It's a good place to start. And um, you spent some time at an agency, then went client side. I'm curious to learn a little bit more about those early years of your career and kind of maybe what you learned during that period. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I um, as you mentioned, yeah, I started my career out in an ad agency. Um, I was there for a couple of years and then went client side and was working in uh, in-house for a um uh, website and home read uh, sorry a website and app for home redesign um called house they're originally a US um US business um and it's interesting yeah I think when I first finished uni I thought I I thought sort of the agency world was for me I quite like the uh, the combination of the kind of the creativity and the commercial side of it um and I enjoyed my time there but I got this opportunity to go uh, work for house they were they were a startup at the time um and so and that's where I actually learned the majority of my kind of email lifecycle marketing side of things so I guess now coming the other side or sort of full circle and back in the agency world I guess that's helped so I had that um initial um sort of insight into what an agency looks like even though it was I was fairly well, I was very junior at the beginning of my career um but kind of could then combine that with the the email side that I learned in-house when I was at house um so yeah I think it's it's probably been a good good combination of, of the two having a bit of experience on both and do you find now with clients they kind of like the fact that you've been on their side before they can can you relate to them a little bit easier or is yeah, it is it the time's passed now and it's like you know not as relevant do you know what? I, uh, that's a really good question. It doesn't often come up in conversation. I don't know whether it, you know, just in subconsciously it's a, you know, it's a good thing and, um, or not really, but it's, um, I'm sure it does help because I have had experience, you know, working in house. I know what that sort of, that process is like. So I'm, um, I'm sure it probably has, does have a, a positive impact. Clients don't necessarily mention it, but it's, um, yeah, potentially something that's on their radar. I don't know. Maybe it's something for your pitch deck. I don't yes, know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, okay. So 
talk me through then why did you decide to take the plunge into your own agency and maybe talk me through those kind of initial stages I'm really interested Mm -hmm. when people start things of like that period of like oh I'm going to do this thing and the thought and the kind of genesis and then the actual reality of that happening like does it happen in parallel to other stuff did you quit everything else and just focus solely on you know the agency talk me through those kind of like early stages yeah so um it was in in all honesty it was quite it was a bit unintentional so I um when I was at house I um always wanted my longer term plan was always to start my own business I hadn't quite figured out what that was I've I've always been interested in the sort of fitness sport space um and so whilst um I was at house I had a few um different sort of side hustles side projects and things that I was focusing on but my longer term plan was always to go into probably a sort of b2c or start some sort of b2c type business in the health and wellness space um my ideal goal was to kind of build something up and then jump ship when I had built up a sort of side hustle that was um, large enough for me to sort of go straight into um but life doesn't always happen like that and it didn't quite I didn't quite get the right thing off the ground so I thought I'll um I'll leave house or leave my previous job um and actually just take some time out to figure out exactly what business I do want to start. And in the meantime, I'll do some freelance marketing consulting using the skills I'd had or acquired over the last few years. Um, so I did that. Um, and whilst I was freelancing and doing that marketing consulting, it, it kind of just it scaled from there quite organically. I got a few more clients. I took on some freelancers to help me with some of the, the client delivery work. Um and then I kind of all of a sudden thought, oh, well, maybe, maybe I should actually, this is the business that I should run and I should, you know, try and scale this up into a, a larger agency. So it was never my kind of intention to um to start an agency, but actually in the way it's turned out has been really positive. I think I still, because the sort of the health wellness space is a real interest of mine. So I've managed to hopefully still kind of use some of that passion and interest in terms of that those are sorts of businesses that businesses that we specialize in working with um but it's not necessarily the kind of the b2c business that i initially had planned to start you know three or four years ago um and but i think a lot of agencies start like that with with sort of freelancers and and scale up um so yeah it wasn't it wasn't exactly an intentional move but i'm really glad to be here i like it accidental agencies are are a great formation (laughs) i I, I think it's interesting you say that because i think a lot of people in the agency space have a very similar path in that their their initial intent is to create a consumer product or or a direct consumer thing right because that's their sort of knowledge and like taking their knowledge and turning that into a b2b services company is usually sometimes an accident because it's like a um it's a stopgap between them and starting the brand yeah. or the the consumer product or, or whatever it is. But I, I definitely think that generally speaking, like B2B services companies are an incredibly powerful business model. And there are loads of them, but mm. I, I think they certainly in our worlds, like they probably don't get the attention and credit they deserve. I, I think, um, especially I think if you're, it's it's a it's a knowledge based business, right? So the capital mm-hmm. required is so low compared to like a product where you've got yeah. manufacturers and supply chain and you know all those kind of challenges. So yeah, I think that's cool. Accidental agency, but that's a very good business model. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when I was sort of starting to think about you know what business do I want to start, it's um you know the obvious or the first port call for me was kind of a B two C consumer product focused business. I think maybe that's often the first is is the obvious choice, I guess. And I I guess I didn't know a huge amount about the agency B two B worlds, but um 
yeah, maybe it's seen as less glam in some, in some respects, but particularly when you're starting, I don't know. Yeah, but it's, I, I think um, it is. it's been an yeah. interesting journey. I think it, it's sort of like, and this is a slight tangent, we'll get on to other stuff in a minute, <laughs> but like the, I do think it's less seen as less glamorous for, for reasons like it doesn't necessarily attract loads of VC funding. Yeah. Which obviously now there's a whole bunch of problems with direct consumer VC funding. Mm. But I, I think there is, yeah, it is. I don't know. It's also, I suppose, like your customer base is not the general public and therefore yeah. you're less likely to you're do like above the line. Out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're less likely to do like big advertising and stuff like yeah. that. But I, I'm I'm a big supporter. Obviously, that's my business. I help yeah. <laughs> B2B <laughs> services companies with their growth. But um, I'm curious then. So why do you think lifecycle marketing is important? And maybe you can talk to me about it in a little bit more detail. Mm, yeah. Uh, would it be helpful if I start by explaining what lifecycle marketing is? Because I think it's often let's an go American... one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let's go <laughs> back to uh, basics. I think it's often seen. It's like an originally an American term. I think I think it's being used more and more over here now. But I think originally, uh, it's it's more of a kind of common theme over there. But essentially, in, in a nutshell, it's um, it's kind of working with or we work with clients to make sure they're sending the right comms to the right people at the right time. You know, depending on where a customer is in their customer lifecycle or journey with a brand. Um, so treating customers differently if they've just come across your business versus customers who are long-term loyal customers. And so part of that is the, di- the different type of messaging, but also um, making sure that you're kind of using types of messaging and timing and frequency to move someone down that journey and, and ultimately get them to become a really loyal customer. Um, and I think it's important because particularly these days, actually, because I think, you know, it, it's super, super competitive. There's so many brands out there all competing on the, in the sort of B2C or direct consumer space. And I think consumers these days are, it's just a baseline consumer expectation to have that personalized, relevant experience. And so, I think more now than ever, you know, brands really need to stand out and make sure that they are giving their customers that kind of relevant, relevant experience, you know, referring to what they've bought, um, using or basing comments based on behavior or recency, frequency of purchase, all those sorts of data points are really, really helpful to make sure that you you can personalize the customer, customer experience. Um, particularly now, I'm sure we'll come on to this in a bit, you know, with acquisition costs being super expensive, you know, customer keeping those customers over the long run is is a really important part of business growth. And tell me then, like I know you sort of said that the your initial intention was like health and wellness brands, but what does the kind of pep client look like? Have you maintained that kind of like ideal niche that you wanted to sort of go after or have you expanded it like talk to me about yeah your clients, what they look like yeah I mean we are we are pretty niche both in terms of kind of the type of marketing we're doing being kind of email and sms as a sort of core focus but also the type of business or industry that we're working in being health and wellness um so ideal client for us is um yeah it doesn't matter doesn't necessarily matter what they are UK US businesses um, but they're typically scale-ups um, in the health and wellness space so we work with clients from kind of skincare through to healthy food and drink uh, vitamin subscriptions mental health apps all those sorts so, so there's a relatively broad range of types of businesses um, both product and service based um, but we really enjoy working with those kind of slightly disruptive innovative brands that are maybe sort of slightly 
um, challenging the status quo and um, and that's I think but but particularly growing businesses so and, and you know they'll, they'll generally be direct to consumer so we'll we'll come in and um, usually they're they're at a point where they've got some of their sort of life cycle marketing in place but realize maybe it's not working for them as hard as it could that people are sort of slipping through the cracks um, and that they're not nurturing and engaging their customers as, as well as um, could, they could do so we'll then come in at that point and kind of do that audit look at what's missing where there are gaps and opportunities and then implement and optimize and kind of go through that process so um yeah it's it's it, the health and wellness space is, is is a really interesting space to be there's lots of innovative new up-and-coming brands all the time so there's lots of um lots of, sort of disruptive brands in there um and it's also i think p- particularly probably post-covid it's been a really big growth area um both in uk and us people are focusing more of their attention on yeah everything from anti-aging through to improving mental health all those sorts of things so it's been a really big um sort of core area of focus i think from a consumer perspective as well so i'm curious then with your clients can you tell me a little bit more about something deeper than the, the the life cycle marketing synopsis which you gave which was really good but something a little bit deeper in terms of some of the strategies that you have been sort of um helping them out with and some of the uh things and experiments that have worked and maybe i'm curious when they don't work and how does that <laughs> kind of like play out like are you given a pretty um I suppose it's always different, depends on the client, depends on the situation, depends on what they're trying to achieve. But like when you're doing some experimentation, um, do they give you that kind of that agency to do that? Or or have you got a relatively standard, you know, the framework, this is how it should work and, and this is what we need to do? Mm, yeah. So, I mean, typically, well, the, the first thing we'll do is just is just kind of look under the, I guess, the sort of bonnet of the car, if you like, and and just look at all the data, what's worked, what's not, where where they are. Often, it will come in at different points of the journey. Some brands are in a sort of more sophisticated place than others. Um, but the first protocol is really just to um, identify what those opportunities are, but also kind of get a really good understanding of what their goals are longer term. Um, brands will usually have a sense of kind of whether it, they've got an acquisition problem or a retention problem, and that helps us kind of steer our focus. Um, but then it's really about mapping out what, what's missing in that customer journey um, in terms of all those different touch points, thinking about, you know, a, a welcome series pre-purchase through to a post-purchase series, win back, thinking about what happens if um customers have lapsed how can we get them back into that brand's world um so we have yeah we've got we know sort of what works in terms of best practice and we'll usually start with that and and bring everything up to sort of benchmark but then that yeah as you say there's always brands that have got nuances and things that work for some brands won't work for others and also there's sort of cultural differences when we work with uh brands in the us versus uk so it'll be kind of putting in place best practices and then tweaking and running tests on those um different comms to then iterate as part of our sort of optimization phase so to a certain extent we can bring everything up to we can see a lot of what's missing just by doing that initial audit and fill in those gaps but then there's always an element of kind of the, the test and learn and optimizing for that particular brand um you know understanding whether their audience um responds better to kind of price discounts versus percentage discounts or value adds sort of incentives that sort of thing or you know testing messaging um putting in place a quite a detailed test and learn framework is um sort of quite a core part of what we do so there's there are always the nuances between you know things that work for some brands won't work for others um and so it's about sort of yeah iterating on those over the long run so we've touched on it 
a couple of times here. You mentioned that we would talk about it. We've talked about it a little bit there, but like mm-hmm. acquisition versus retention. Yeah. I think that's a key theme probably at any stage of any brand's yeah. life cycle, right? Yeah. But like, what are you thinking back end of 2022? Um, are you like bullish on one or the other? Um, or is it simply a matter of the, the stage that the company's at where they should be focusing their attentions in terms of acquisition and retention? Yeah, it's a good question. I think... Yeah, with acquisition costs being pretty high at the moment, and you know, cost of living crisis, and you know, acquiring customers is getting more and more challenging um, across the board. Um, and I think going into the next few months, potentially that's going to get more challenging. Our sort of key message at the moment, and actually the thing that brands are coming to us saying that they need help with, is is customer retention. Um, yeah, it's everyone knows the stat that it's sort of five to eight times more uh, cheaper to retain an existing customer rather than acquire a new one. Um, and so that's a really core focus for us is to yeah once um, you get a customer into your world into your brand then it's about keeping them there over the long run making them you're encouraging to make that second third fourth purchase we often will go in and work with um, businesses that have got a you know they're great at getting customers to make their first purchase but then they just drop off a cliff and it's difficult to get them to come back a second third fourth time um so yeah retention and getting to that kind of golden third once once you get past that third purchase it gets a whole lot easier it's about getting a customer from that first to third purchase particularly for subscription-based businesses getting through to that third month subscription um so retention is a really key focus and i guess yeah i i would definitely i'm erring or encouraging clients to focus on their customer retention um and leaning into that a little bit harder um not pulling back on their marketing and really landing the brand, continuing to share brand benefits, um, surprise and delight their customers, yeah. treat their VIP customers differently to their yeah, average customers and do you know, focus on that segmentation. But it's um, the core of it is really about providing quite a much more relevant and personalized customer experience at kind of every touch point, you know, um, from not just email and SMS, but also thinking about your packaging for example and that unboxing experience yeah, making totally. sure that is um is personalized and and is a really good experience encouraging customers to come back you know multiple times i'm so intrigued by the what you just said there about the third purchase for subscription being a challenge i was under the assumption that one a subscription model is a subscription model, that's like the ultimate retention because you get them in they're locked in and, and that's it so wh- why is it do you think that there is a challenge getting people within a subscription model to the third purchase. Is that because you, maybe the brands, the product isn't necessarily perfect fit for a subscription? Is it just because people are fickle? Do you think there's subscription saturation? Mm, I think often, um, so often our client will offer their a discount or in, and some sort of incentive off that first whatever it is food delivery um mailbox whatever that sort of subscription business is and so that's a really great way to hook people in for sure but I think then you also get a lot of people just who aren't that sure are sort of slightly sitting on the fence and you need to encourage them to come back or not to to not cancel I suppose um and again depending on what the product or um, service is yeah people often then have too much of something and want to pause or cancel And, and there's a number of different reasons why people do it but I think it's yeah. If you're hooking people in in the first place with some sort of incentive, which is is a great tactic, you need to then convince them that it's worth staying for a second, third month. Typically, by the third month, it's more of a habit, and you've kind of ingrained that into um, into their everyday life. So it's it's easier to keep them on after that. But it's yeah, that first to, to third purchase can be more of a challenge. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. It's funny because I've been talking a bit about subscription to various people and commenting, you know, on various things. And I'm not necessarily so bullish on it. I feel that the subscription model itself can get a bit saturated. And Mm -hmm. I think that it favors, it's perfect for like um, something that you need every month, right? Like like, um, prescription drugs is a great one, right? Like you need, like I'm going to die if I don't take this thing (laughs) every month, right? And it's like you, you need that thing. So there's like one end of the subscription. I think dog food and stuff like that is another probably okay one, although that market is quite saturated. But I think once you get down into those subscription elements, which they kind of make people's lives easier, but people's lives are quite complex and trying to Mm -hmm. fit them into their lives can be slightly challenging. So a good example is I was a subscriber to the brand Minor Figures. I love their stuff. I think their branding is sick, but their subscription option, it was terrible. Like I would end up with like fucking... 12 things of milk yeah. or zero, right? And it yeah. was like the, the nuance of my life didn't fit into their subscription model. And I appreciate that from a brand perspective, it's really hard to find people's nuance and fit into their lives. But yeah, I, th- I think that I think that subscription is really challenging as a, mm-hmm. as a business model. Although I think it's seen as something a bit of a, a, uh, a retention sort of like north star which which i agree but i think it is a bit more challenging people think for sure yeah i was seeing quite a few or speaking to a few sort of um i think cereal is a maybe another example of a sort of subscription-based business that um might work as subscription but also kind of people are going to the supermarket anyway or doing their online shop i guess a bit like minor figures with your um you know plant-based milk it's something that if you're already going to the supermarket or ordering online, then it's not saving you a huge amount of time or effort to have a have that on subscription. I guess maybe a bit like dog food, but that seems to work really well. Um, I guess maybe it's, it works better for stuff that that is it's inconvenient for you to get otherwise. Totally, if you're already going to a supermarket. Yeah, 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 totally. Like my 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 old dog had like this dog medicine that she needed was like she had incontinence she didn't have it yeah. we were fucked basically and it was like <laughs> weirdly i was thinking there was a subscription idea in there because I, I had to go to the vet to get it there was no way yeah. to get it to me anyway we've talked a lot about subscription <laughs> i think it's an interesting concept you must see a lot of consumer data so what are, is there anything that you're surprised by or noticing you know i suppose we're kind of out of the covid thing now it feels like yeah. we're in a like whatever post-covid world but so COVID aside, so pre-2020, like the end of last year, I'm more interested in the last like six months to eight months, you know, like what are you seeing? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think um, we found that click rates can be a bit of a challenge for some brands at the moment um, and uh, and getting people to actually click through to content or to buy or to subscribe, whatever it might be. Um, and I think often we're, th- we're seeing the reason for that is the... I think two probably two things. The first is um, lack of kind of um, great content to click through to. Often brands will go too heavy on the sales messaging and um, it feels a bit kind of um, irrelevant, particularly if someone's just bought something recently. It's it's about making sure that you know, you've got a good split of sales messaging versus added value content. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons we see lower click rates. And, and one of the, the kind of recommendations there is to, share high value content linked to blogs linked to videos linked to social um get it to be something you know, an email that people want to actively look forward to receiving you know with a cup of tea or whatever um yeah. and i think the um 
the other reason has just gone out of my head. Oh, I'm sorry, it's come back. Um, the other that was quick. Reason, Usually people are quick. like, yeah. "Oh my god, that's good." I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> The second reason is actually just not giving people enough opportunity to click. I think, yeah, having enough like, um, quite clear call to action buttons in um, in your comms, in your emails is often something that gets overlooked. I think people think that when someone's scrolling through that they're going to they're going to see, particularly on mobile. Um, I think having that clear, prominent and, and not just one multiple clear, prominent call to action buttons, it can be for the same thing, but just making it easy for people to click through um, is another another sort of top tip. But yeah, I, I was trying to yeah, sort of in terms of general trends, um, nothing that's um, sort of overly obvious or worrying. I think click rates is something that we do see are can be quite low, particularly with brands that just start working with us. I think often it's because of the the type of content and not giving people enough opportunity to, to actually click on their content. I think that's an interesting insight. So I suppose it would be remiss of me not to talk about the macro climate because yeah. it seems to be <laughs> this sort of cloud that's like gathering um, as we speak. But like what are you thinking about it internally? Are you guys talking about it a lot? And then I suppose, are you seeing any impact across the, your client base? Like mm. generally, yeah, what are you seeing in terms of the macro climate? Yeah, from an internal perspective, I think we're seeing it as quite a good opportunity. You know, we're still um, yeah, a relatively small but growing agency. And so I think it gives us a bit of a um, opportunity to be quite nimble and to um, pivot quite quickly. Um versus some other some of sort of competitors or other businesses out there. So I think yeah, a lot of great businesses are started in a recession. So I think it's there's definitely opportunity there. I think it's about making sure that you can spot it and that you're quick to act on that opportunity. Um so from an internal perspective, we're yeah, continuing to um lean into our marketing, definitely not slowing down on that. I think we probably need to do more in order to sort of stand still or go at the same pace that we're we're going um and um from a kind of macro perspective i think it comes back to retention our yeah key messages to, to clients at the moment is to is to focus on their customer retention tighten up their customer journey go through it with a kind of fine tooth comb look at where people are dropping out um because if you know still important to spend money on acquisition for sure but if you're going to be doing that you don't want to have a leaky bucket and for people to be kind of coming at the top and falling out the bottom quite quickly. Um, so making sure that you're keeping them engaged for the long run. So slight change in gears, what's the best thing about running an agency and what's the most challenging? Ooh, I think the best thing is, um, the best thing is definitely being able to like build um, I'm quite, quite proud to have built a fantastic team, um, being able to um, sort of have that autonomy to you know pivot change the business or not hugely but kind of tweak and and move with the times and things that we're seeing in the market and react, react reactions to clients that sort of thing um so i love i love the sort of the growing of the business side of things and i guess that probably loops back to what we were saying at the beginning and that I, i've always sort of wanted to do my own thing it wasn't necessarily an agency but um yeah having that autonomy to to grow and to pivot where necessary worst thing is that it's just always on and it's constant pressure um and there's never a yeah never a sort of moment when it's not in the back of your mind um i really noticed that from the difference from being employed to running your own businesses um is that sort of always on um sort of pressure but it's a good yeah most of the time it's a good thing it's just yeah it can be a challenge 
and is it did it surprise you how how big that was going to be because it sounds like you you had the sort of vision and um you wanted to start your own thing yeah and has that has surprised you in terms of how full-on it can be uh yeah I, I for sure to a certain extent yeah it's it is full-on and it's um there's plenty of hats to wear and plates to spin and all those um all those things um probably more than I had originally anticipated um but I sort of it's a bit maybe a, yeah I love it as much as sometimes I think oh why am I doing this but <laughs> yeah 95 percent of the time it's great and I love it and I wouldn't do anything else um but obviously every, I think everyone has those moments don't they when they think oh is this the right thing am I doing the right thing but um yeah, Dude, I think about that like every day. That's what good. I spend. I block it in my between seven and eight a.m. I block it into my diary and have an existential crisis. Query what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I suppose that's a good segue into like, what would be your advice for somebody starting their own, I suppose, business, but maybe more specifically yeah. an agency. Yeah, I think one of the things we learned quite early on was just getting really clear on your positioning um, and having a good understanding of exactly what you offer, but more importantly, how that helps solve your um, consumer or your client's challenges um, and getting really clear on what their pain points and what their problems are. I think once you've got a really good understanding of what what the problem is that you solve and how you solve it and the, the sort of uh, the emotional challenge that your um, customers are facing, I think it makes it much, much easier to then um, do your own marketing and answer those pain points and those challenges for your clients or your customers. Um, so I think, yeah, nailing down positioning, don't afraid, don't be afraid to be quite niche with super niche um, and being yeah hyper sort of clear on exactly who you serve. Um, it can be quite challenging or quite scary at the beginning, I think, to almost say no to people that are not in your Totally. well on your remit um and it feels a bit counterintuitive but i think it served us really well to to be quite focused on the health and wellness space i think that's a super super key sort of like piece of advice for someone starting a services business is like get comfortable saying no because i think that that's inherently one of the the biggest challenges of a services business is mm. not being incredibly disciplined with your ICP and then being disciplined when you, because most agencies like to grow, right? And their client base will change of like taking stock of your current portfolio and yeah. potentially making some hard calls as to who's on the journey with you and, and kind of who's not like, yeah, I think legacy clients mm. <laughs> is a very yeah. challenging concept. I mean, I know the clients don't like to hear that, but that it's just the reality of relationship-based you know, kind of services, right? Like, yeah. Um, okay, so e-com or whatever, DTC, health and wellness, yeah. you know, predictions for 2023. What are you thinking about? Yeah, I think this is quite an easy one. I think SMS marketing is something we're seeing a huge growth area in. Um, it's, I think, over in the UK, we're slightly behind the curve compared to the US. Um, we work with a number of businesses both in the UK and the US, and um, SMS is... Um, slightly more advanced over there um, I think both in terms of uh, the sort of consumer reaction to it I think people are um, more you know more at ease with receiving a text message from a brand than we are maybe here in the UK I think that's changing um, and we're sort of getting more more comfortable with it um, but yeah SMS is, we're seeing is a huge growth area um, lots of clients brands wanting it um, and something where you're yeah, actively sort of working with clients to help build up their their list it's I guess it's 
it's just that next, it's just an, another string to your bow to be able to e- not only email um, your customer's base, but also text them. It's much more of a kind of personal, intimate type of communication. I think I think the stat is something like 90% open rate for SMS. So you know your messages are going to get read um, compared to you know, much less on email. Um, and it's a great way of kind of building up, think, you know, talking of customer retention, great way of building up your um, customer loyalty, having sort of one-on-one conversations with, with customers um, and giving them a much more personalized experience. And I guess I, traditionally, I think we all probably think of SMS as those sort of um, you know, promo type messages and that can be quite I get annoying. loads of dominoes. Yeah, exactly. Which I quite yeah. like, actually. They do great <laughs> okay, deals. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think there's also a shift to making it more kind of, um, you yeah, know, content-led or um, yeah. Yeah, subscription, you yeah, know, reminders, notifications, those sorts of things. It works, you yeah, it works great for transactional emails, but it can also you know, go one step further and can be much more sort of personalized. It doesn't have to just be about, you know, your next discount code. Yeah, a bit more conversational right like exactly. i think that they, yeah. they refer to it i think in that world as in like the the pure play not like a clavio who it's like a, or maybe they do refer to it but they're a broader product suite but like pure play sms is conversational commerce i think is what yeah. they they call it right yeah yeah exactly so it's yeah an, an interesting growth area for sure i think it's, it's come on massively over the last year you know in, and it, just in the last year for for example you know people are actively talking to us about sms that they weren't yeah, 18 months ago. And so it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a big growth area for 2023. That's so interesting. And and do you know, like, is it bigger in the US? Because from what I understand, WhatsApp usage isn't so big in the US, like iMessage is, is, has that got any impact, do you think? Yeah, I think probably the main thing is the consent, um, uh, not issues probably the, the wild there, but west over consent. there yeah right. you don't need okay. you don't need uh you need much less in terms of consent than you do yes. here um of here it's the good a old days tidy yeah, yeah. 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 nice <laughs> so yeah that's probably one of the big reasons okay final question um and i believe from memory i might know the question i might know the answer to this rather but like what would you be doing if you weren't running an agency and from memory you were a rower am i right in saying that uh sailing yeah sailing like, yes. water sports yes yeah. it was a water sport <laughs> uh what would you be doing would it be sailing or something else oh um i think i would probably have some sort of health and wellness d2c startup to be honest nice. i think that's yeah maybe in, you can read into that what you will because i think that's yeah interesting that we're now obviously working with those sorts of brands i think that's that's oh, that's what i originally set out to do um so i think that would be my i think i'd still be running my own business it would just be maybe in a different guise sailing i yeah i do love the sailing i think i'll always keep it as a uh, like a hobby and a summer sport rather than a full-time thing um I probably would I'm sure I would be doing some sailing on the side but I think in terms of replacement for pet it would be um having my own sort of direct consumer health and wellness focused business I think that's a great way to end the podcast Georgie thank you so much for joining me thank you it's been great There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clevio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. You know what they say about folk.